0: And turn with me to the book of Hebrews, the Old Testament book of Hebrews, and he, or the New Testament book of Hebrews, sorry. You'll be looking the wrong section, the book of Hebrews, chapter number one. If you're looking for it, it's towards the end of the Bible. So you start off with Revelation, Jude, 3rd John, 2nd John, 1st John, 2nd Peter, 1st Peter, James, and then the book of Hebrews. So, towards the end of your Bible, the book of Hebrews hebrews in chapter number 1 we're going through this brand new series we gave an introduction on wednesday and now we start going through it verse by verse to go through the book of hebrews and i love the book of hebrews the book of hebrews is the new testament or the old testament commentary dealing with the Old Testament commentary in the Old Testament through the light, the filter of Jesus Christ, showing us that all throughout the Old Testament, it was always pointing to one person. It was pointing to Jesus Christ. And so with this, there's going to be a lot of deeper things. There's going to be a lot of meaty things into it, but it's going to be all good things as it points us to Jesus Christ. And so we start in the book of Hebrews chapter 1, and verse 1. The book of Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 1. Notice with me it says, God who at sundry times in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his image, and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the pow- by the word of his power when he hath by himself purged our sins sat down on the right hand of the majesty On high, and if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the Book of Hebrews, chapter number two? The Book of Hebrews, chapter two, and notice, or chapter one, Hebrews, chapter one, and notice with me in verse number three. Hebrews, chapter one, and in verse number three, the express image of his person, the express image. Of his person. And with the Lord's help, I would like to preach to you based off that phrase in Hebrews chapter 1 the expressed image of his person. The expressed image of his person. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. Thank you for the great privilege it is to be in your house. Thank you for whom you are. And I'm asking that you would give us grace, that you would give us mercy, that you would help us to understand more about you, Jesus. I'm asking that you would settle me down, Lord, that I would be surrendered to you and deliver exactly what you want to get across. Help me to be out of the way and not a distraction, but just a usable vessel in your hands. Thank you for these good folks that came out here. And I'm asking that you would reveal yourself. You would show yourself. You would make yourself known to every single person that's in here. And if there's someone that does not know you personally, that today would be the day that they met you, that they didn't just hear about you, but they met you personally, and that it would change their life with that personal relationship. I'm asking again that you and your Holy Spirit do what only you can do. And we're trusting and depending upon you to draw your people close to you. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we start off in the book of Hebrews chapter number one, we start immediately with the whole focus of the book of Hebrews on Jesus Christ. And as we do that, we can see that God starts off by expressing who he is and how he was revealed. The very first thing I'd like to show you here is the word of God. The word of of God. Notice with me in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 1. God, so this is the person that we're speaking about here, who at sundry times in diverse manners, this means that at different times in different manners, spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. Now, what it's referring to specifically is that the Old Testament scriptures were given in different ways, by different manners, but given to uh, the prophets, the writers of the Bible. And so we know that God had at times that he had used dreams to get some things accomplished. We know that at times that he used history and historical events. We have 12 historical sections. We know that God used the prophets. And that he put together the Old Testament scriptures for a purpose. What is the purpose? God who at sundry times and diverse manners spake unto the times passed by the fathers uh, under the prophets. And then as we see the context, why did he do that? Because he wanted to reveal himself. If you've never written down this point before, I would encourage you to write this. The whole purpose of the Bible is to reveal God to man. The whole purpose of the Bible is to reveal God to man. God wants to be known. He's the only God who wants to be known. Do you know that there is no other religious God, deity, leader that can be known or wants to be known? You go, Confucius, does not want to be known, nor can he be known. He's dead. We know that Buddha never wanted to be known. He was all about self-enlightenment. And he is dead. He cannot be known. We can know facts about him, but we cannot know him personally. We know that Joseph Smith, he's gone, cannot be known. Mary Eddie Baker, whatever last name she had, she <laughs> is dead. She is is gone. You cannot know her. Even Muhammad, you cannot know him, nor Allah, his God, cannot be known. Did you know that in the Quran, the closest you could get to Allah is it says that he is as close as a knife to your throat? That's not the type of closeness that I would expect. But none of those people can know their God personally or the representation of our God. The difference between the God in the Bible and the other gods is that God wants to be known. He doesn't want to be some mystical God that's always around the corner. He wants to have a personal relationship with you. He wants you to know him. And so in order to make himself known, he allowed the Old Testament scriptures to be written. Why? Because they are not a book about Moses. They're not a book about David. They're not a book about Abraham. They're all a book about God. And every portion of the Word of God, every book of the Word of God, reveals something about God. In fact, we have 66 books of the Bible. Each one of these books of the Bible are made specifically to reveal something special and unique about who God is. You could start at the book of Genesis. In the book of Genesis, we learn that God is the creator. In the book of Exodus, we see that God is the deliverer. As you go on, you come to the book of Leviticus, we see that God is a God of order. We come to the book of Deuteronomy, and we can see that God is the one who protected them in the wilderness. He's the God of judgment. We could see that God in the book of Deuteronomy is the personal God. All of his names are being revealed. You go through the book of Joshua, and we could see that God is the one who gives us the victory. You go through the book of Judges, and you could see God is the God who expected people to come to him and to find instruction. And by the way, you could go throughout all the Bible, and each book of the Bible tells us something special and unique about God. That was the whole purpose, is to reveal who God is is to man. That's the only way we know about God is through the Bible. God revealed himself through scriptures. So the Old Testament scriptures, God had given to the people for what reason? So that way he can be known. He wanted the people not only to know facts about him, but to know him personally. To know him by experience. We had a personal God. And by the way, he showed himself personally. Think of an Isaiah an Isaiah 6. In the, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And his train filled the temple. And it goes on and explains that he witnessed God sitting on his throne. He saw this representation of who God was. It said, His train filled, ah, let's turn there. The book of Isaiah, chapter number six. Isaiah chapter six, so you could see for yourself. God wants to be known. And so he allowed this vision of Isaiah so that way we can know more about who God is and his character. Isaiah 6 verse 1, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Isaiah is looking at this vision of God and God is sitting in the throne of the temple. And his train filled the temple. The train is something a king would wear, royalty would wear. And the longer the train was, the more honor and prestige that king was worth. Well, how long is this train? It filled the temple. If you can imagine just a room like this, that's pretty wide and long, and someone sitting on the throne, and his train not just covered the floor, but it folded over itself until it filled up the whole room. That was the image that he saw. That this is a God who is worthy of all honor and praise and glory. of prestige. Notice in verse 2. And above it stood the seraphims. By the way the seraphims are a class of angels. These are angels. How did they look, by the way? Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain, he covered his face. And with twain, he covered his feet. And with twain, he did fly. These seraphims are in the throne room of God. And they don't look like little babies, little uh, fat little babies with diapers on. But instead, the seraphims mean burning ones. And they're burning with light. And they have three sets of wings three pairs of wings with tw- two wings they would fly as you would expect wings to do but guess what they also had wings that would cover their feet why in the world would they have feet wings that would cover their feet well because feet are a sign of creation they're evidence that we were created and by the way, angels were created by God. And as they're serving God in the throne room of God, the wings are covering their feet before their creator as a sign of humbleness, as a sign of recognizing that this is the one who created me. And with twain, they cover their feet. But there's another set of wings. With a set of wings, they fly. With a set of wings, they cover their feet. With a set of wings, they cover their eyes. Why would these angels have wings that would cover their eyes? That's because they're in the throne room of God and angels as high as they are as majestic as they are as holy as they are cannot even look upon the face of God because God is higher than them and we, even though they're serving God in the throne room even God, though they are still serving God they cannot look upon God's face because of God's holiness and Isaiah seeing this By the way, there's only one being in all of creation that can look upon God with their naked eye. And that is redeemed man. That one day we're going to get our brand new body for those who accepted Jesus as our savior. And with our brand new eyes, we'll look upon our heavenly father and we'll be allowed to co-heirs with Jesus. We're the only part of creation. We can't do it now in our Failed bodies, our rotten bodies, with our brand new redeemed bodies, we will be able to look upon him. Only one creature in all of creation. But guess what? It's not over with. All of it again. This whole passage is to show who God is. That God is high and lifted up. His train filled the temple. Showing all glory and majesty that it has. He has these angels. These seraphims. Who are there to serve God. And they have these wings. And even their wings are showing how great and holy God is. Notice with me if you don't mind in verse 3. And one one of these seraphims cried to another and said holy, holy. Holy is the Lord of hosts. And the whole earth is full of his glory. These angels here. They're singing to God. Through his uh, throne room. In fact this is their only purpose. Is to worship God. Saying holy. 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 You know these are the same angels that we see. Later on in the book of Revelation. Who are serving God. In the throne room of God. And they're still saying the same thing. Holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty, who is and was and is to come. Holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty, who is and was and is to come. And let me tell you, they, the book of Isaiah was written in 600 BC. And the book of Revelation is yet to come to pass. And these seraphims with their job, night and day without sleeping without taking a break are worshiping God you say what about the angels no it's all about God God is such a big God and such a worthy God that these angels tirelessly endlessly are praising God because that's how great God is that's how holy God is that's how majestic God is and by the way when they're saying holy 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 they're not grabbing a microphone and dancing into it holy Holy. But you know what they are doing? Verse number four. And the post of the door moved. At the voice of him. That hymn there is the seraphim's him that cried these seraphims are pronouncing God's holiness and greatness with a loud voice holy 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 is the Lord God Almighty who is and was and is to come and they're saying it with such a loud voice with such a proclamation that the posts of the door are shaking like they were an earthquake just reverberating over the praise that they have to God remember the emphasis is Is not on the angels but it's on God that God is that worthy of glory and honor that's who God is but it's not done yet notice this the post of the door were moved at the voice of him that cried and the house was filled with smoke we know that this is a picture of the Holy Spirit the glory of God and it filled the whole place could you imagine being an eyewitness of this event by the way they're still doing this they're still praising God because God is that worthy of it when Isaiah saw this thing saw the angels saw the Lord high holy lift up saw his train saw the post of the door move saw the things uh, filled with smoke you know what his response was verse 5 then I said I woe is You know, when you see God for who he truly is, you see yourself as you truly are. Next to God, Isaiah was a pathetic failure. Next to God, we are all worthless and small and tiny and nothing compared to God. But that's the whole purpose of the Old Testament. That's the whole purpose of the Bible is to reveal God to man. To tell us, to teach us who God is. But as times went on, God changed the way that he revealed himself. Notice with me back in the book of Hebrews chapter 1. We start off with the word of God and we understand the main purpose of the Bible is to reveal God to man. Why is that important? Because God wants to be known. God wants you to know him and he just doesn't want you to know facts and figures. He doesn't want you to just to know his shoe size. He wants you to know him personally. He wants you to know him experientially, meaning you've experienced God. He wants you to have a personal relationship with him. So what God did, we went from the word of God to the will of God. Notice back with me in the book of Hebrews chapter 1. And notice with me in verse number 2. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 2. Hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. God understood this principle that the old testament was made to reveal God to man but even with the revelation of who God is there was a distance God was unrelatable because he is a God he's not human but we're humans as much as God would love to we could not relate to him we could not understand him he was a concept that was afar off so God being a great God, wanted us to know him. And so what God did is he robed himself in flesh and came on this earth as the Lord Jesus Christ. Now we know that God is going to have a purpose of dying on the cross for us because he loved us. But God, who is Jesus, wanted us to know who God is and God did it through his son that we can know who God is by knowing who Jesus is. Hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. Now again, what's the purpose of this speaking to? He wants to reveal. He revealed himself in the Old Testament. Now in these days he has revealed who he is by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things by whom he hath also made the worlds, who being in the brightness of his glory, notice this, the express image of his person. Who is it speaking about? Jesus is the expressed image of God's person. Jesus is God. This expressed image, that's one word that goes together. It has the root word of making a statue, making a a replica model right? But when you put those words together, it carries past that. That what happened is that the way for you to understand who God is, God gave us Jesus. It's the exact same thing. Jesus is God in a different aspect so we can know him. That we can have a relationship so we can comprehend him. Maybe perhaps I could... um. Maybe give a different illustration. I like science, so let's teach you science. We know that there are many dimensions, all right? So if you were to take a dot, and that would be zero dimensions, and if you were to square that dot, you would come up with a line, all right? So that's the first dimension. Let's just say that it's length. If you square that line, you develop a second dimension. Not only do you have length, but you also have width, okay? What happens when you square a square? You come up with a cube. So you add a third dimension of depth. Okay? What happens when you square a cube? Does anybody know what the fourth dimension is? It's called duration. We would call it time. Okay? So you take a dot and you square that, you get a line. You get a line, you square that, you get a square. You square a square and you get a cube. You square a cube and you come with a fourth dimension of time. Now, The more that you, (laughs) we are three dimensional creatures, right? We could go height, width, um, we could jump up and down, we could go side to side, go back and forth. We can move in three dimensions freely, but in the fourth dimension, we can only perceive time. We can only travel in one direction, okay? So we're three dimensional beings who perceive four. So we're limited. So let's take it back a dimension. This is Mr. Flat, okay? Hi, Mr. Flat. He is a two-dimensional creature that could perceive three. So let's say Mr. Flat, he can't understand all of me because I'm beyond his comprehension. I'm in a different dimension, does that make sense? So let's say that I put a finger here and Mr. Flat, all he could understand is what he could perceive of me, which is not much, but just a cross-section. And let's take his wife Mrs. Flat, who gets a different picture of me, okay? And so Mrs. Flat talks to Mr. Flat and they argue about how they perceived God. And the next thing you know, they split up and they start the church of the one finger and the church of the two fingers. Okay? And by the way, that's how things happen. Because God knew he couldn't under- we can't understand all of him as a God, what G- God did is he robed himself in flesh and came on this earth in the form and the fashion of a man. So therefore, we can understand him and to know who God is in a way that we could perceive, that we could comprehend, that we could understand. Does that make sense? So many times when people talk about God, they talk of him as a concept and he's so far out and they can't grasp it. They can't understand it. And by the way, that's a true thing. But God wants to be known. So we had, he had to come to us. We couldn't go to him. And he came and fashioned himself in a way that we could understand who he is. May I prove that point to you that I'm just not making it up? Turn with me to the book of John, the Gospel record of John. We're coming back to Hebrews in a second, but I wanna prove it to you. I just don't wanna give you a concept and you to take my word on it. Take your copy of the word of God and turn with me to the Gospel record of John chapter 14. John chapter 14. Now in John chapter 14, Jesus Christ has just finished the Last Supper. He's spending time with his disciples hours before he's arrested and he's taking time to give them important information so they could survive without him After he's arrested and crucified. Jesus knew where he was going. The disciples kept ignoring when Jesus was telling them. But now he's trying to get this last little bit. And he's trying to encourage them of what's going on. And let's pick it up in mid-story. Let's pick it up in um, verse number five. So Jesus said, I'm going to my house. I'm going to prepare a mansion and I'm coming back for you. Uh, And where I go, you'll know the way. Verse number five. And Thomas saith unto him, Lord we know not whether thou goest. How can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Jesus says, I'm going to heaven. I'm going to go to the Father. Well, how do we get there? Well, you get there by me. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. You know how to get to heaven if you know me. I'm the way. I'm the way to get there. There is no other way. By the way, the word they, the, in front of the way is a definite article. Meaning that it is not a way. It is the way. The only way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. Verse number 7, If ye had known me, ye should have known my father also. And from henceforth ye shall know him and see him. All right. so Jesus said, listen, if you've known me, you also know who my father is. By the way, that's who we want to go to heaven. That's what makes heaven worth it is because God's there. Because Jesus is there. And if you want to go to heaven, you can know the way. How do I know the way? Through me. By the way, if you know me, you also know the father. Notice the follow-up question in verse number eight. Philip saith unto him, Lord... Show us the Father, and it shall suffice thee. So Philip's intrigued. Hey, I want to know who God is. Tell me who God is. Jesus, show me about God. You tell me, show me God, so that way I can know him. Well, that's a legitimate question. Notice what Jesus answered. Verse number nine. Jesus saith unto him, have I been so long with you, and yet thou hast not known me, Philip? Well, Philip was asking, show me God. And Jesus said, hey, I've been with you this whole time. and You don't know me. He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. Jesus made it equal. If you know me, you know the Father. If you see me, you see the Father. Why is that true? Because Jesus is the expressed image of God. Jesus is God robed in flesh so that way we could comprehend and understand who God is. Isn't that a wonderful savior? Isn't that a wonderful God that he wants us to know him and he wants us to know him so badly that he purposely robed himself in flesh so we could understand who he is. What a wonderful God! The passage will go on and Jesus will continue to give the same idea that if you know me you know God. We are not going to spend time in there. We have covered that before. But turn back with me to the book of Hebrews chapter number 1. So we could see Jesus as the expressed image of the Father. That in the old times we could see the word of God that God has revealed himself through the word of God. God wants to be known and He's revealed himself through the word of God. Today God wants us to know him personally and so he came by the will of God because God wants us to know who who he was so he robed himself and he became Jesus. Jesus who is the expressed image of his person. Jesus is God. And if you want to know God get to know Jesus. There is no other way of knowing God outside of who Jesus is by the way. That's how you know him personally not facts and figures. That's how you know him experientially, by having that relationship, that fellowship with who Jesus is, so we can understand him. But then we come to the work of God, the work of God. Continue with me in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3. Who being in the, pr- the brightness of his glory, and the expressed image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he, Jesus, had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Here we could see the work of God. God wanted us to know him personally. And God wants to have fellowship with us. But there was a problem. What keeps us from having fellowship with God? Sin. Sin was a barrier. Sin put a gulf. Sin put a wedge. And because of sin and how sin works. That God is a righteous God. Is a pure God. A holy God. And he cannot be in the presence of sin. So that's a problem. So sinful man, as much as he wants to be with God, he cannot be because sin puts a barrier. Well, man on his side, as much as he might want to approach God, he cannot because sin's a barrier. He cannot come to God. He is stuck. So what God did is he robed himself in flesh as the Lord Jesus Christ, and he went between two parties. God What's keeping man from coming to you? Sin. Man, what's keeping you from coming to God? Sin. So Jesus died in our place. This is a Bible word that we have, substitutionary atonement. The word substitutionary means that he took our place. Atonement means he paid our price. That Jesus took our place and died on the cross, not just for us, but he died as us and by the way he did it by himself Jesus died on the cross for your sins and mine he paid every sin of for every sinner who ever lived he paid that price at that time he was buried and uh, put in a borrowed tomb but the good news is he didn't stay dead on the third day he rose again We know that there are four words that describe what must be uh, provided before salvation is available. The first of all is substitutionary atonement. The second word, Bible word, is the word propitiation. That's a big fancy word. That means the appeasement of God's wrath. That means that God's price was satisfied. How do we know that God was satisfied with the payment that Jesus made? He rose again from the dead. When Jesus arose from the dead, it proved two things. First of all, it proved that Jesus was God. Second of all, it proved that it proved that, G- that the price that Jesus paid was accepted by God. And so, because of that, the Bible says in the book of 1 John, he is our propitiation of our sins. He is the appeasement of God's wrath. That God is no longer angry because of sin. His payment has been satisfied. Now, going back to man's side. Man, I paid your price. Jesus became what the Bible said our redemption. The word redeemed means to pay back from a slave market. It comes back from the old Roman days. During the time of the Roman Empire, slavery... Uh, of the population were slaves. And so slavery had a big idea and influence on culture. And so they had a word that came from the slave markets to buy a human and they would say redeemed. Well Jesus paid the price for us by the price of his blood. His blood was shed to pay the debt that I owed God. Jesus redeemed me by his blood. He paid the price by his blood. He paid that debt, so I no longer owe God a price. So, what we could see is he was our substitutionary atonement. He died for me and he died as me. He was my propitiation. He's the appeasement of God's wrath. God's uh, wrath is satisfied that payment has been made. On man's side, Jesus paid our price with his blood. He was our redemption. Now, all that is left. Is a beautiful Bible word. Reconciliation. To bring two parties together. In agreement. And That's what Jesus Christ did, that both parties have to agree to the terms. Of course we know that God is willing to accept the terms he sent Jesus in the first place. But each person individually by themselves must personally accept the terms. What are the terms? You owe God a price. You deserve hell. You deserve death for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is Jesus Christ. Our Lord Jesus Christ. That Jesus paid your price. And he's willing to pay for every sin you've ever committed. And by the way. Every sin you will commit. He paid it all. The only thing you have to do is agree to the terms. Will you accept that gift? That's why John 3.16. For God so loved the world he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish or go to hell. But instead they shall have everlasting life that's the terms all you have to do is believe and trust he's done all the work you must be willing to accept the terms the bible talks about in the book of uh, romans chapter 6 verse 23 for the wages of sin is death but the gift of god is eternal life through jesus christ our lord for example if i was to hand you a gift i like using people's illustrations they can't see you camera's not facing you if i was to hand you a gift and say this is your gift what must you do to make that yours what'd you just do that's right. Did you have to pay me money for it? No. Did you have to mow my lawn? No. You didn't have to be nice to me. All you had to do was take that gift for you. Well, the same thing's true about going to heaven. To go to heaven, you don't have to go to church. To go to heaven, you don't have to pay money to the church. To go to heaven, you don't have to help little ladies cross the street. Now, all those things are good things and things we ought to do, but those things don't get us to heaven. The only thing that gets us to heaven is the gift of God, that Jesus paid the price. He was our substitutionary atonement because he died for us and as us. He was the appeasement of God's wrath. He was our propitiation. He was our redemption. He purchased us. He paid our price. All that is left is each individual person. God's already accepted the terms. You must accept the terms. You must accept that free gift for yourself. You must personally accept it. When you do that... You are forgiven of all your sins, but more importantly, you can know who God is personally. That's what God wants. God wants you to spend time with him. And he could not because there was sin blocking the two of you. But now that sin is no longer an issue, you can have a fellowship with God. You could spend time with God. You could develop a relationship with God. You can be personable with God because sin has been taken care of. That wedge has been taken care of. And now God wants to spend time with you and wants you to spend time with God. So let me ask you the question. Are you 100% sure if something was to happen to you based off of the Bible? Do you know without a doubt that your sins are forgiven? Do you know without a doubt that you're going to heaven? Do you know without a doubt that Jesus has forgiven you of your sins? Has there ever been a personal time, a date, you don't, might not remember the date. But you should remember the event. When you personally accepted Jesus as your savior. If not let me tell you the good news. You could get that settled today. We would love to take the bible. And show you from the bible. How you could know without a doubt. And that you could have it settled. You could walk out of here saying. I know I'm going to heaven. Because of who God is. We want you to have that settled. For those of you who do know Jesus Christ as your savior. Are you taking care advantage of the fellowship you could have you can spend time with God on a daily basis you don't have to set an appointment you could spend time with him anytime you want what a great advantage we can have a personal fellowship with our God our God doesn't have to be distant he doesn't have to be afar off he doesn't have to be hiding around the corner you can know him personally And if you're not taking advantage of that, let me tell you that you can. And there's nothing stopping you. You might remember the guy with his pickup truck and his wife. And as they're driving down the highway, they're on either side, nice wide truck. She looks at him and says, you remember the days where we were young and in love and you had your arm around me and we just drove in this old truck just close together he looks at her and says, I didn't move. You understand? God didn't move. We did. You are always as close to God as you want to be. How close you are to the Lord right now is because you want to be there. You could always get closer. You could always chase after him, follow after him, pursue after him. For married couples, you remember the time that you were chasing after her. You were pursuing her. You took showers and put on clean clothes just to try to impress her. Then after a while that got old and you stopped doing this stuff and you went back to normal. We need to go back where we're chasing after him. Pursuing after him. Trying to be close to him. Being with him as much as we can. Don't let it grow old. How is your personal